Welcome, friends, to Bound Sisters, a monthly book club with Kelly, Jill, and Miranda. We are three sisters with busy lives, setting aside time to connect through books and fun conversation. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you have fun, too. This month, we read the book The Wedding Dress Circle by Jennifer Ryan, a story based in World War II following three plunky women who... (laughs) Plunky? Plunky, that's plunky. I don't like what I said. <laughs> but it was so good. That's making fun of you. That's totally normal. <laughs> That's us. <laughs> That's the whole charm of us. <laughs> okay, We're not trying to be professionals here. We're just trying to be ourselves. This month we read the book The Wedding Dress Circle. Sewing circle. I can't do this. <laughs> okay. It's because you're trying to read. If you would just like talk. I'm just trying to read the book title. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get that right. <laughs> okay. This month we read the book, The Wedding Dress Sewing Circle by Jennifer Ryan. This is a story set in World War II about three women who restore wedding dresses to help lift the spirits of many brides during the wartime in Britain. So one of the... I'll just start talking about it, right? Yeah. Okay. So out of the three storylines, I think my favorite one reading about was Grace, right? She was... Yeah, she's the the vicar's daughter. Our daughter. Yes. And... Um, I, I did not like Lawrence at all. No, no. gosh. <laughs> the way that she like started describing their relationship in the very beginning, basically she was settling like, no, there were <laughs> options for her and her dad worked in the parish and she just kind of like, this okay, was a life. Like, let's talk about her dad for a minute. Like even in the very first uh, chapter, when he goes and he finds her mom's wedding dress for her and he's like oh we'll just you know you can fix this in your wedding your sewing circle she tries it on and she feels like so beautiful right like she feels like she looks like her mother and then she asks her dad hey do I look like mom and he's like no you kind of look like me (laughs) I was like Like, I read that I was like that's great motivator (laughs) (laughs) like who says that who's like no you're kind of take after me sorry babe I mean, he's a good guy. Of like, towards the you know, you find out he's a good guy. But at first, I was like, that's kind of like that's not nice. <laughs> not nice. So, but yeah, I was really hoping so much that she was like going to end that whole thing with Lawrence, and so I was mm-hmm. really glad when she wrote him that letter. And I didn't even care so much like if she ended up with Hugh because I mean that's great. But if not, like she can find somebody else. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I almost wish she didn't like I almost was like just because um we're not worried about spoilers here right we're assuming everybody has already read this book no yeah if Um, you're listening to this hopefully you've read the book (laughs) (laughs) um like the way he treats her just kind of he I don't know like the first time she sees him after not seeing him since she was 15 he's like super rude 
-hmm. And then I know he's going through his own stuff. Like, I get it. But, like, he's super rude to her. And then he's all like, hey, let's be friends. And um, why are you getting married to this Lawrence guy? Which is a valid question. But then, like, he's mean to her again after they kiss. Like, when he's engaged, they kiss. And then he's like, oh, no, I'm just going to go off to London and marry this lady. And he, like, shuts her down time after time after time. And then she's still like, oh, I, like, yes, let's get together. I'm like, no! (laughs) After the lake scene, after the the lake scene, I was like, please just let him go. Yeah. (laughs) Move on. (laughs) Wait, which lake scene, though? There was a lot of them. Where they, where she, like, separates him. From his fiance, and then they swim out to the the island. And oh then yeah, they kiss out they, of the like, island. They, like distract the fiance inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the the person who irritated me the least is between the Cressida and um, Violet. Yeah, is Violet. Like I feel like yeah. she actually had some personal growth. Like she knew what she wanted. She wasn't going to like settle. And then when she revised what she wanted, she still wasn't settling. You know, it wasn't like she was pining after a certain person, hoping that this person would come around. And then, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like her story was a story more of personal growth and figuring out who she is and what she really wanted, apart from what her family wanted from her. Like, Mm -hmm. I liked her story surprisingly because she was probably the most annoying in the beginning was like the least the least annoying for me like Cressida even like she's annoying (laughs) I didn't like Violet at first and then her and Cressida were kind of the same throughout the rest of the book and then the ending of Cressida I was kind of like "Uh, I don't really like that because she decided that she didn't want to stay there and she wanted to move back to London and she does that but then in the end it's just like and then she decided to move back and be in the village (laughs) yeah they they actually moved back I thought they just went to visit for no it's like a there's it's like a short line when they're getting Grace ready for her wedding they're like and Cressida decided to come back to the village and work in the village (laughs) Yeah, she like set up a shop or whatever. Yeah. Oh, I thought I I guess I understood it as she was gonna be splitting her time. Like she had talked about the other people in her like fashion house or whatever were like worried about her leaving. Is that what you're talking about? I think they thought they thought she was gonna shut down the London house, and she was like, "No, it's still gonna run. I'm just gonna be here." Okay. Yeah, yeah, because he was all I was. He was all willing to move to London. Ben was. Yeah, that he was going to move to London to be with her. I didn't realize. I think that. Um, I mean, that clothes rationing was a thing. I didn't realize that. But I guess this was before, and probably even the beginning of fast fashion, where they kind of make clothes in bulk, like several. Mm-hmm styles of the same thing at the same time in bulk this is I think probably the beginnings of it is what it seemed like but I didn't I didn't realize that clothes rationing that they were like given whatever they were called what were they called like coupons or something like points or but I didn't realize that that was a thing that they had to they couldn't it it sounded like in 
it sounded like maybe it was just like a European thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, because you're, that's what the war was. Like you're right. Every- but like, um, when, when they talked to some of the American people, like the ladies were like, "We don't do this in America." Yeah, yeah, and they were like baffled at how somebody could live that way. Yeah. But yeah, but I didn't realize that that was a thing. I did know that like, um, they started printing like the flower companies. They were p- putting patterns on flower sacks. Because people were using really? flower sacks as fabric. Oh yeah, I did. I, I, I read that. there was something about that in the book, the flower sacks and how they were using, you know, like parachutes and different things to find their fabrics. So. I'm really though, like, I am curious. I mean, not curious enough that I'm gonna like, I don't know, do any sort of research on it. But um, <laughs> I'm curious because she's like a fashion designer. That's her job. So, mm-hmm. and she obviously caters to a different crowd than she ends up running with. But, um, like, Cressida is who I'm talking about. She, I don't know, like, and, and it seems that um, the, which is always the case, I guess, but the, the higher, what are they even called? Because they're not royalty. They're just a higher, like, a societal class. Right, like, the higher cast of people, they don't seem to be affected nearly as much like they're almost like this is such an inconvenience this war (laughs) this war is an inconvenience (laughs) to us and they don't really even take it seriously and Cressida doesn't take it seriously until her house literally blows up and then now she's affected and it's personal to her and she wants to do something about it but yeah it's like how um Hugh's fiance was like well you should have just stocked up with clothes before everything got shut down yeah. Like everybody was just able to run out and spend hundreds of dollars on clothes before the rationing. Yeah, real quick. <laughs> I guess maybe we should like tie all of these people together because we're talking about these people and if somebody mm-hmm. hasn't read the book, maybe they don't understand how these people are connected. So um, mm-hmm. so there's Cressida. There's, uh, so the three main characters, there's Cressida, Violet, and Grace. Cressida and Violet are actually related. So Cressida is Violet's aunt. But um, Violet's dad kind of wasn't a big fan of Cressida not getting married. Cressida had a fiancé but died in the First World War and they never got married. And so she kind of um, didn't want to get married and she decided to go and make it on her own because her brother was kind of a, what's the word? (laughs) Jerk. That's the nice word. Um, but he wanted her to marry for uh, advantage and not for love and just marry whomever. And she wasn't about that. So she left and decided to design, uh, started this whole design business. Well, she started um, out as a model and eventually made her way into being a designer. Right. And then, so Cressida is living in London. Her brother uh, dies eventually. So the Westcott is her last name. Estate is left to her nephew and um, niece, Violet. So the nephew is Hugh, who ends up uh, courting Grace. And then... Courting. Um, yeah, courting. <laughs> With loose quotation face. marks. Air quotes. <laughs> Being a jerk, a.k.a. courting Grace. <laughs> um, 
And then Violet actually ends up being, what's it called? Basically drafted. Yeah. Um, into she, the war. She starts out as your typical rich girl. Yeah, who thinks it's a, an annoyance. Yeah, that's she's, a war. She's, she's spoiled. She's had a very cushy life. And she wants to marry um, for title. She's not worried about marrying for love, but that's because that's what she was raised for. Like, it's that her, it says a couple of times in the book that her dad basically told her that he wants her to be educated, but don't let the men know that you're educated. Like you need to act like a aloof or whatever when like an airhead. Men, yeah, because the boys want to feel superior i just like mm-hmm. this is obviously a different time and age because <laughs> it's like re-watching seventh heaven where you're like i can't even <laughs> you're like cringe why is this happening for context earlier this week jill was watching seventh heaven and texted us and was like oof as <laughs> <laughs> versus a teen in the 90s watching it well, yeah. so like I did the, I started watching Bewitched. Oh, it was a long, it was a while ago, but it was like this would be fun, you know, start Bewitched from the beginning because I loved watching Bewitched as a teenager. I would sit down on what was it, the Block Party Fridays, um, that Nickelodeon had, and in the summer they would play certain older shows. Um, every single night, actually, not. Uh, nope I said Fridays right yeah, I don't remember yeah. anyways somebody probably knows what I'm talking about but um, <laughs> I would watch these shows so I love watching Bewitched and I Dream of Jeannie and that's when I fell in love with Lucy um, and Lucy is a little cringy too but there was a specific episode of Bewitched where I'm like I can't watch this anymore I can't because it was an episode where Samantha was out in their her own garden at her own home okay there was like a pergola or whatever and she was out there and one of baron's associates comes up to her and basically tries to assault her and she turns him into a dog because she's a witch and she can do that so she turns him into a dog and darren gets mad at her for like turning this guy into a dog and accusing him of trying to assault her I'm like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) You are my husband. If anybody (laughs) should believe me, it should be you. And you should want this man to be a dog. Anyways, I was really put off the show after that. I couldn't, I couldn't. (laughs) He like, they got in like a big marriage fight over this. Not even like just a scuffle and they moved on. It was like a big thing that like affected. It was the whole show. It was the whole show was about I mean eventually he came to know that this guy really was a dirtbag and deserved to be a dog but Darren's kind of a scumbag so <laughs> anyways we love old shows <laughs> <laughs> so Violet <laughs> back to the book <laughs> so Violet is being raised in a way that would not make sense nowadays but <laughs> storyline and so then she gets drafted to do to to do some war work because all the men are at the war, so they need the women to do stuff on the home front. 
Well, and so like she goes in with this idea of how that's going to be. Her job is relatively easy, what she ends up doing. She ends up uh, driving this American um, officer around. But the point from when she shows up at the recruiting office or whatever it's called um, till she actually starts her job, they like shave her head or cut her hair really short. And she had lice. So they yeah, shaved. Yeah. Miranda. Miranda's attached to her hair. Which also, I looked it up and the internet said that um, cutting one's hair does not actually relieve you of lice. <laughs> no, I think it was, um, I'm not even sure that she actually had lice. I think it was that that lady really had it out for her that um, the the lady who was processing all of these girls, she right. was yeah. had an eye on her and she was like, nope, we're going to teach her a lesson and chop all her hair off. How sad. <laughs> Miranda's like clutching her hair. No. <laughs> I was reading it. I was like, I would have been traumatized and cried my eyes out if somebody sat me down in a chair and chopped all my hair off. <laughs> so, but she had a really hard time in that whole um, thing. But she found out that she was really good with cars. Mm-hmm. And that she understood the mechanics of them. And then that actually was beneficial to her when she was driving the car. Um, But I also like that she, like her love interest, the person she actually falls in love with, is like this Mm -hmm. unlikely person, right? She like describes him as kind of um, like his nose had been broken one too many times. And he had a really square jaw and like just the image of this guy was kind of like rough (laughs) and he always talked about all the ladies he had back in america like yeah and he was such a flirt he would flirt with everybody every woman as he like walked through the office (laughs) yeah you just hear giggling like getting louder like every single person's of attention before (laughs) getting to the back of the office where she sat so i listened to the audiobook of it and i felt like the the narrator, her American accent was terrible. And <laughs> basically, she gave everybody a Southern accent. These people Even were though from he's like, from like con- Connecticut. Uh, Connecticut. Yeah. He had like a Texas twang. Um, <laughs> like that's just what Americans sound like is Texas. But... <laughs> But I had to I had to do the audio because otherwise I would never have gotten through the book. <laughs> Not because it's a bad book, but because my focus. It, it takes a long a lot of time to like be able to sit down because I really wanted to actually like read it. And so I was trying to do the Kendall version. And then after like a week of trying to read it, I made it through like two chapters. And so yeah. I was like, I'm never gonna make it through if I don't listen to it. I, I can't even say that I made it through the first chapter before I was just like, I will just download Audible because <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to get through this. Never. So the third character is Grace and she lives in Aldhurst. Is that how you say it? Aldhurst? Yeah. The, yeah, the village. Yeah. And so it's the little village that the Westcots are kind of like in charge of. He's the He's the lord over all these people. Which is how she even knows Hugh, who is Violet's brother and Cressida's nephew. That's how she even knows him is because her dad is the vicar, the um, pastor or whatever. Yeah, like a pastor. 
for the um, area for the for the village so but come to find out ben who is her dad um who is grace's dad was friends with cressida's like it's just like this whole web of things it was friends with cressida's fiance who died in the first world war so he was actually good friends with cressida um before when they were young um because now they're in their 40s and old um but <laughs> for reference i'm 37 so <laughs> those 40 year olds are super old i always i had to remind myself once cressida and ben got like more serious i had to remind myself that cressida was older than violet and grace yeah i had to de-age ben in my brain <laughs> Because in that you're first like, chapter, yeah, I saw him as like a like hobbled, hunched over, like old man, <laughs> and then I was like, "Oh, he's a love interest." <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's he probably just got some salt and pepper going on. He's yeah. <laughs> well, because they don't even describe the way he looks in the first chapter. They don't even describe him until Cressida like sees him walking around the village when she ends up in Aldhurst, which happens because her apartment building is bombed in what's called the London Blitz, um, which is when the Nazi airplanes came through and just like blend it. <laughs> Drop it under on the middle of the night. But yeah, it's like this whole, it's really interesting how all of these relationships are kind of just connected in weird ways. But yeah, I just saw, like, because Cressida just became such good friends with Violet and Grace that I saw them as all the same age group sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so then when Cressida started having interest in Ben, I was like, oh, yeah, like, Cressida is in a different generation. Like, this is acceptable. <laughs> it's not like this 20-year-old girl who's like, ooh, my best friend's dad is kind of cute. Like, <laughs> I don't think I ever saw them as that, but I think I, in my brain... Cressida's first connection was to Violet and she was her aunt and so in my mind she's more of a mother figure for Violet and so I guess I never I I'm also older but I never um I never had that issue (laughs) I didn't have to like revise my view of the characters (laughs) mid-book Even though they say her age at the beginning of the book, for some reason I automatically made her like 60 years old in my brain. And so I had to keep, yeah. (laughs) So I had to keep like, no, wait, she's 40. (laughs) Yeah, which is bizarre because like these days, I guess most 40 year olds wouldn't have adult nieces and nephews, but maybe her brother was just a lot older than her. Maybe. Like maybe her brother was like 10 years older or something and. They, I don't know. I don't think it, was, it ever mentions their age difference. Well, I think that when she left the house, she was what, like, I don't know. I don't know that it mentions it. But after her fiancé dies and she leaves um, the manor because her brother is overbearing and is trying to marry her off, um, the, the Hugh and Violet are born. Like, I think that they're there. At least Hugh is because I remember – she was talking about how he was like this playful, fun boy, like little mm-hmm. boy. And then she left and didn't hang around anyways. No, I didn't have a problem with the age difference. Because there was no age. I had all of the correct and appropriate ages. 
in my brain from the start. <laughs> <laughs> the other character, she's very minor that I did not like. Not like I hated her. I just could go oh, with that. Grace's uh, friend. Yes, Lottie. Because like my mean girlfriend. My like the first introduction of her. So like Grace describes their friendship as basically like she's my friend because she's always like because I've known her since we were kids. She's like a default friend. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. That's why I hang out with her because she's just kind of been here all along. And then like the first thing that she's saying, I think I highlighted it. I'm gonna actually like look it up. Cause she says she's like the like the first thing that you hear Lottie say to Grace, I was just like, Well, that was rude. <laughs> like, first of all, she doesn't even really like you as a friend. And <laughs> and then that's what you're gonna say to her, like It was something like you could be really like something about her looks. Yeah, it was something that yeah. I mean, everybody comments on Grace's looks. They're like, mm, that true. brown dress that you're wearing. It's so interesting to me though that like Grace is she's basically putting on this scene, right? She's not even living true to who she actually is. Um she's just decided that she needs to be this this mousy humble modest if we want to use that word to describe this um sort of person who doesn't stand out somebody somebody in the background who is just ever there to help Mm -hmm. and she like takes that identity on herself when that's not even her real identity and then Cressida shows up and she finds out that she's really good at other things and thank the heavens because otherwise she would be married to Lawrence, who is like <laughs> an old man. I don't know how he was like ten years older than her, so that's not a huge age gap. But I mean, in that time, like ten years was a lot to be older than somebody. And he's not very loving. He's just he's he doesn't he's seem like he ever really misses her when he comes back. No, yeah. she legit was caught red-handed maybe in, the red-handed. Closet. in a closet yeah in a closet <laughs> with, with another man mm-hmm. and he's like okay he's like nice to meet you Hugh like <laughs> let's go make dinner Grace like <laughs> well Cressida says it she's like he's not looking for a wife he's looking for a co-worker <laughs> like yeah <laughs> <laughs> I found this that Lottie so she says she was like, don't, because they were talking about how Grace is, like, going to be doing all this um, parish work for the rest of her life. And then she says, you certainly look like you could take a morning off to give your hair a wash. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you are the worst. Like, if somebody was hanging out with me and then they were just like, Jill, you really need to take a shower. I'd be like, <laughs> you're only here? I have no other friends. <laughs> you are the last resort, so. There's literally nobody else in town who is my age, so. I just don't friends. need any friends. <laughs> I mean, she really doesn't have, the only reason she even gets together with Lottie is because of the sewing circle, right? Like, her yeah, whole Yeah, I don't day, think they ever really hang outside of that. Yeah, her whole day is consumed with just, um like, like service helping, yeah helping people and 
um, doing all this stuff, which is interesting when Lawrence is like, why are you doing all of this work? When she's like helping with the children of that lady who has a Oh yeah, why did you volunteer help? to watch your children? Like, isn't yeah. that what she was meant to be? Like, if that's, if her role for him was going to be the vicar's wife, like, wouldn't that be her role is to take care of the parish? Like, I don't understand why he had a problem with her helping with children. That was interesting. Yeah, I didn't understand that either. Also, I was kind of like, is that how he would feel towards his own kids? <laughs> well, like, would they yeah. even have children? Because, I don't know. you know, like he, like you said, he wasn't looking for a wife. He was looking for a helper for him. <laughs> like, so, like he, she was telling, um, so Lottie gets married to uh, Flynn something. Flynn. He's like, but he's like a he has like a title, right? Doesn't he? Yeah, I think it's Lord, but because he lives somewhere else, I don't think he lives in Aldhurst. That was the girl that like Violet, adjacent Violet was to it. To get with, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. like at the beginning of the book, when once Cressida is now living with her niece and nephew, um, because her house is gone, they go to like this party or whatever, and Violet is looking to snag Lord Flynn unbeknownst to her he is already in love with Lottie and like making goo goo eyes at her the whole time Violet is trying to speak with him and that's actually when she meets this um American Landon yeah what was his name Landon Landon McCready or something Macaulay McCready I think that's an outlander character um <laughs> but she so she meets him and they're like she's put off by him because he's kind of abrasive he's American because he's American obviously he's abrasive and speaks and, and he has accent. absolutely no title I mean he has nothing that she's looking for right because in her mind that's all she's worth like that's all she can um that's how she contributes to society is marrying wealth and so that's what she's looking for so like Lottie marries this Flynn guy and she's um talking to Grace about it and she's like when you kiss Lawrence, do you feel all of these feelings that you feel that she feels toward her husband or fiance at that point? I don't remember. But um, and Grace is like, well, actually, like <laughs> I've never kissed him. <laughs> never kissed him. He actually just every time the subject comes up, he finds something else to do. <laughs> yeah, and so, she wanted she wanted to kiss him, didn't she? I think so. I think just because you know, like you're engaged to somebody at that right. point in society, you're now allowed to kiss somebody, you know? And so yeah. I think in her mind, I think, I don't know. I think part of her wanted to marry for love, but another part of her was like, she has a duty to be a certain well, type I of think person. for grace, um, she kind of decided that she was going to live her life the way she thought her mother should have lived or would have lived like she yeah. was deciding she was now her mother which it don't they say something about that that wasn't who her mom was that she just didn't understand i feel like that came up with like her mom liked to play and have fun and like do these things i might just be making that up i remember that but i don't remember if grace said that cuz i think she said something about like 
I want to be like my mother and be the fun mom, but also the wife of a vicar, however you say that word. So I don't <laughs> How think did she you really say understood. It? How did you say it when you read it and now I'm saying vicar? Vi- vicar? Vicar? <laughs> I don't know. I bounced back and forth. I don't know how to say the word. <laughs> Isn't that funny? You're like, I don't know how to pronounce this, so I'm just going to make up a pronunciation. (laughs) (laughs) It's the best when you just make up gibberish in your head. You're like, and then it just just says the same gibberish. (laughs) So, like, in Outlander, they use a lot of um, Gallic names because it's Scotland. (laughs) So so they use a lot of Gallic names. And there's one name... um, you pronounce it Leary, but you read it and it says Lago Hair. <laughs> like it's, so it it was when I started because um, I read I read the first two or three books at least before I started the first audiobook for Outlander I downloaded was the third, fourth, the Fiery Cross, which is I don't have my books in my room. Like the fifth one or something. Fourth one? Fifth one? I don't remember. Anyways, it's a red book. Um, but then you like start hearing the name and you're like, that is not, that is not the name. Her name is Lago Hair. It's the ugliest name for the ugliest person. Like, <laughs> anyways. Vicar. Vicar is how you say it. <laughs> okay. Vicar. Anywho. Apparently I'm the one of the three of us that always diverts our conversation. It's fine. <laughs> we'll have to try that out in like real life to see if that is consistent or if it's just um just now. <laughs> Well, am I the only one who, like, it always takes me a second to realize that a book is not set in the USA? Like, like, I don't know. Like, I was reading it and I was like, oh, wait, like, this, we're in Britain. Okay. We're not in the US. That's cool. But, like, I did it with Harry Potter when I was a kid, too. Like, it confused me when I was, like, reading Harry Potter and they're like, we're going to go to London. And I was like, what? How? Why are we in London? This really is magic. <laughs> but it's like it's just always like an assumption to me that this is going to be a book set in the U.S. And so then, as I'm like getting clues, That's and so I'm like American of you, <laughs> it really is. <laughs> like I'll start getting like context clues where I'm like, I don't, I don't think we are in the U.S. <laughs> and then there's usually something mentioned about London, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> I think I normally default to to the UK, not to America, and maybe because when I listen to audiobooks, usually, it's, usually it's a British woman. <laughs> well, I started reading it first before I did the audio version. That may have clued me in faster, but because <laughs> it doesn't say anything like in the synopsis about it being in London specifically, does it? Um, it just, I mean, it says, oh, I guess it does say wartime Britain. <laughs> that would have the been first page is Britain, clue. 1942. <laughs> okay, so maybe I, sometimes I'm just oblivious when I'm reading. You seem to pay attention, Jill. 
<laughs> yeah, and Alders before that, village, says, England. Close rations. Close rations, Britain, 1942. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Jill. Good job. It does also say Aldhurst Village, England, when they introduced Grace. <laughs> You just, I didn't. I didn't read that clothes rations page. Forty coupons per person per year. Yeah. 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 And if they needed a new skirt, that was half their coupons because it was eighteen yeah. points for a skirt. Oh, sorry, skirt suit or long coat. Which is why they started doing the wedding dress thing was because um, I think the right. sewing circle started as just like a mending clothes. Um, thing where the women would just get together and chat and then close and then right. it evolved into once Cressida got there and Grace had her wedding dress and it was moth eaten and so she had to um, redesign it but and then it turned into this big and this is like a true story well it's based on mm -hmm. a true story I don't remember her name but Teddy Roosevelt's wife got involved in it Eleanor is that her name Eleanor so it got yeah, pretty Eleanor big Roosevelt. Yeah, people from America were sending over dresses. I just think about, like, what if this was something that, like, somebody tried today? I don't know how many people would just give up their wedding dress. Yeah. Yeah. I think, though, it was more of a community mentality, though, because because they know that these women don't have the opportunity to even, like, make something else. Yeah. You know? And, like, I... Like my wedding dress, because mom made my wedding dress, so it's like special. Still at mom's house. It's still at mom's house, <laughs> but it's still special. And I wouldn't want it to just be like gone for me to never see again. Right, but you kind of hold on to it, hoping that you can pass it on to your daughter. Right, like it's and not I like mean, you. Yeah, and if we were in like a situation where people were literally like, "Here, here's forty little pieces of paper," and spend these wisely on your clothes over the next year like if I knew somebody who needed a wedding dress like I would I would share my wedding dress with them but I wouldn't just like I don't think I could just donate send it, it send it over to another country where they're gonna like maybe alter it and you'll never see it again yeah well also it wasn't like you they they donated it to the wedding dress circle and then the circle hold, held on to these wedding dresses and like lent them to brides who needed them and then they would send them back so at this point nobody is keeping their wedding dress like everybody is just partaking of the um the clothes the closet that they had right so. i would just rather just have the clothes closet just be out of my house <laughs> <laughs> you need a dress that's fine but bring it back <laughs> bring it back washed please I, that might be a mentality too, like a, like how many clothes do you still have from when you were newly married? <laughs> I got rid of those. <laughs> I gave those to my niece. To your my niece. niece. Yeah, she On has other nieces that are not your children. No, I understand. <laughs> I didn't realize you had a niece that was old enough to be wearing like adult size clothing. Uh, yes. I, Nate has nieces who are, she, he has one niece that's like 20 something. Oh. And then the next one down from that, I, is she, she's a junior or a senior in high school. It was from my skinnier days when they were like smaller clothes that could fit like a young teenager. 
yeah I mean I remember at one point Nate was like or no when you guys were newly married and you had that townhouse or whatever that was two bedrooms and the other bedroom was your closet no I don't think no that was a thing Jill the second bedroom was your whole closet I remember I remember Nate complaining <laughs> about it. <laughs> it was just like a junk closet. Well, there's a junk room. Oh, well, maybe just all your clothes were junk. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, but yeah, I think that I think that when you when you live in um, a world of abundance, like when your mind is like, I have so much stuff that I can freely give these things away. I don't think that there's a scarcity mindset with um loaning dresses and if these women are not marrying for love and they're just marrying for you know like these higher up women if they're not marrying yeah. because they fell in love with this man maybe their wedding dress just isn't as special maybe to them it's just a thing that they had to wear yeah because uh didn't violet violet's mom actually donated her dress to grace's mom like way back when yeah so it's it's been a thing longer than the wedding dress circle has been a thing. They just found a way to organize it. It seemed to also benefit the American people who were over there, like the women um, mm-hmm. who were working, because at least as far as I deduced when she was talking about it, when Violet was like, yeah, there's so many people who just love this idea because all these women can now borrow wedding dresses and marry these men that they've met um, because of the war. Yeah. They kept talking about like the military women who needed wedding dresses and like how the military was also helping them reach these military women who needed dresses. Cause otherwise they had to get married in their suits and their uniforms. Yeah. Which is what every woman wants because uniforms are always the most flattering and just make you feel so beautiful. One thing that I found interesting was like the fashion show that they did for oh, like the, what was for the government issued uniforms. But those were that that was supposed to just be for like civilians, right? Like the government was trying to provide new clothes. Yeah, it was like fashion that stayed within the government's restrictions yeah because you could only have so many stitches and so many budgets so you weren't being wasted well because they were trying to it was a it was a cloth like a cloth ration right and so they wanted um i think they were trying to fill a need um but stay within a budget so these these like suits and stuff that cressida was designing that grace was designing um because grace becomes a designer instead of a vicar's wife go her but um, she, not that being a vicar's wife is bad, guys. I mean, if that's what you want to do with your life, if that's what you want to do. It just wasn't what Grace wanted to do. I think, I think it was about, because if you had too many pleats, that takes up more fabric. More fabric. Mm-hmm. Too many um, stitches. Took up yep. more fabric. They had to use, like, wooden buttons, I think. They couldn't use the metal buttons, because the metal was needed for the war. So they couldn't have metal buttons. So probably less buttons, even. I don't know if they had wood buttons. That might have been a little too. I don't think they were allowed to use zippers or anything. It had to only be buttons or like a one piece type of thing. But yeah, I thought that part of the story was cool, how they had that competition and 
that was was that was kind of like the moment that Hugh decided he was going to be with Grace, wasn't it? No, because that was before. No, so like that was so like he left because she was supposedly going to marry Lawrence. Right. It was and like she the didn't see was him again until the fashion show. And then he shows up at the fashion show and she's totally startled by the fact that he's even there. He just keeps pulling her back in, people. Like, he's just like this, no, stay away. No, come here. No, stay away. <laughs> it's like, ugh. I almost wish she didn't end up with Hugh. I almost wish that she would have just found somebody else. Yeah. Let's write Jennifer Ryan and tell her to revise the ending. I thought it was interesting that Hugh and Grace kind of paralleled Ben and Cressida because um, Hugh and Grace also have a conversation where they're like, can we still be friends even though we're not together? And Grace says no. And then Ben and Cressida also have that same conversation. And Cressida asks if they can still be friends and Ben's like, no, we can't. And I thought it was interesting. Well, and Cressida kind of uh, is the same situation as Grace, where she holds on to this identity that she's given herself, and Mm -hmm. she has a hard time letting go of it. And maybe that's why this, maybe that's why those two stories are just like irritating to me because, um, like Ben's like, "Hey, I love you," and you know that she loves him too. You know that she wants to be with him. And she automatically assumes that he's asking her to give up her life to come and be a vicar's wife. And she's holding so tight to this identity of this like independent woman. And um, I'm not going to have a man who, if you love this man, like, and he's a kind soul, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know him. He's not just this guy that you love because you're swept up in the fantasy of it. Like, she knows him and he's offering her love basically she's lonely and she wants love but then it's offered to her and she's like i can't give up my legs yeah i have to go back to london so and then she shows up in london and she's miserable like the whole time she's miserable and then he shows up if you took cross of the story like by itself and just read cross the story i thought it would read as like the perfect hallmark movie <laughs> yeah. The woman starts out in the big city. Something traumatic happens. She has to go home to her small town. She's living there. The small town's really not as bad as she believed it to be when she lived in the city. Things happen. She meets a man. They fall in love. She says, No, I must return to the city. She goes back to the city. It's not the same as it was the first time. <laughs> And then she ends up with the man. <laughs> then she, she finds a way to get the best of both worlds. Like, that's, yeah. that's the end of every Hallmark movie, is the best of both worlds. That's the story of every Hallmark movie. <laughs> that's true. And not just any man does she meet, but, like, a man from high school. A man that... Yeah, um, right. A man that who who she was really good friends with in high school, but never dated. And yeah. She comes back to her small town, and he's this handsome hunk of a man who has a <laughs> you know a daughter, <laughs> and she connects with this daughter and takes her under her wing, and they spend so much time together. <laughs> and 
it really is a Hallmark movie. When when she was like there, when she was back in London, I was just reading it, and she was just as she's like, you know, it's just not. The, you know, she's just describing how it's not the same as it was the first time, and how she misses the manor, and how she misses Aldhurst, and all those things. And I was like, this is sounding like every Hallmark movie I've ever watched. <laughs> <laughs> Never got to go like when she goes season. and like grabs the clock off of the fireplace and then just kind of looks around and then you just throw in that like sad music at the end and then it <laughs> fades out <laughs> it goes to commercial yeah <laughs> and then she's just sitting there all alone one night and then there's a knock on the door and who could it be who would be knocking on her door her high school sweetheart <laughs> I also I, just says I will live in London with you, and but she goes back to the village anyways. Yeah, she's like, well, that's nice, that, but it wasn't necessary. <laughs> I was on my way out the door anyway. <laughs> that's what it is. It's the scene where the girl has decided she's moving back. She's got her bags packed, and she goes to walk out the door, and he's like, about to knock. It's that scene. That's the scene it was. <laughs> Um, I gotta say, though, that I was, like, a little bit traumatized by the whole scene with, um, so Violet, not Violet, Grace breaks up with Lawrence, Hugh rejects her again, and, um, or she finds out Hugh is actually getting married, so he went off to London to propose to this person, and then comes back, and then he comes back engaged. And Grace is no longer engaged, and she's thought about Hugh being engaged um, to this awful, awful person. Like, she's a terrible person. She's the worst. But, so they go to, like, this party. It Was it Lottie who convinced her to go to this party? Um, oh, it was Violet it, and Lottie who... They wanted her and to dress And then kind up of, things. like, the help of the sewing circle. So they decided to go to this party. I don't even remember where it was or how far away from the actual place it was. But um, so these villages yeah, are under they're... constant. Yeah, maybe they're under constant um, threat of like bombing. So they have these whole organizations to um, to warn people if if yeah, like air raid stuff. Um, and so they're in this party and. Uh, Violet is talking to her love interest, Landon, I think. And um, she like keeps hearing this ringing and she's like, what the heck is that ringing? And she hears it again and again and again. And she's like, that's an air raid siren crap, which you would think for somebody in the military who is trained, like there's a lot of officers there. Somebody should have <laughs> recognized that that was an air raid siren the first time you would think, but they were at like a coming. military party. Yeah, the music was the music loud was bumping. Especially if we didn't have electronic music back then, they were still like. <laughs> I mean, it was like jazz it, music. It oh my god! Yeah, it was the 1940s. <laughs> like, like they weren't playing the fiddle, like <laughs> stomping their feet on the. <laughs> They had they forgot the joke. We don't hear the air. It was an American party. No. Yeah, I I mean 
imagine it was pretty loud. like 1940s they had some good somebody i don't know somebody on. would have run in somebody somebody somewhere would have known that this was happening i guess that's the whole point of the air raid siren the air the air raid siren was supposed to yeah run in. the siren <laughs> the person did their job it's like supposed to be like Paul Revere, you know, it's like <laughs> running through the town. <laughs> because we're still we're still in the 1800s where we use fiddles <laughs> as entertainment. Okay, I might be a little bit more sucked into Bridgerton and the Regency area <laughs> than even Bridgerton I had, had a, a spinning time. stage. Yeah, Bridgerton had all sorts of fancy fandangled things. Let me tell you, <laughs> I had a hard placing people in their correct generations, Kelly had a hard time placing the whole story in the right era. <laughs> but, okay, so what I was saying, though, is that, like, Violet, not Violet, Grace gets legit trapped under, like, a building that fell down with a child yeah, with and an infant. Too. Like, I was like, are they gonna survive? <laughs> Like, there's this little boy crying, and I'm the person who's like, make the baby stop crying. Like, make it stop crying. And she's just like, he's like, are we going to die? And she totally lies to him. Like, no, we're not. I mean, they don't die. But so it turns out not to be a lie. But she didn't know it wasn't a lie. She didn't know that. Yeah. But I was just like, I was a little bit shook by her being trapped under a building with these two small children. It's like my worst nightmare. Now I'm going to have to start planning for that. (laughs) Kelly's out here like, if I'm in the 1940s and there's an air raid and... Or somebody's playing their fiddle too loud and I can't hear it. (laughs) Well, no, but you know how like my anxiety does these things to me where I have to plan. It's, It's part of the control aspect of my anxiety. I have to plan for all of the things. Okay, I have a plan of what I'm going to do if I'm driving and somehow my car gets off a bridge and into a water with my children in the back. You roll your windows. Well, yeah, but so our car got broken into a couple of years ago and they the only thing that of value that they took because it was the only thing of value in our car because we don't keep things in our car was a seatbelt cutter. And so then I started having nightmares because somebody stole my seatbelt cutter. And I'm like, what if I am underwater? Like, how? And my seatbelt won't come out. And I don't have a way to cut it because somebody stole my seatbelt cutter. <laughs> no, but after reading this with her being trapped under this rubble, I'm like, I. what if there's an earthquake and my house falls down on top of me? I need a plan. You need an oxygen tank. <laughs> and I'm telling you, you, I was all times. Crying. I was probably crying on both floors. And like she was like, uh, she made up this game to play with the little boy, and she's like, "Let's both yell as loud as we can," and it was like her game to get them found. And then all of a sudden, she starts hearing voices, and she's like, "Okay, scream some more. We're here. We're here." And um, I'm like crying. I'm like, "Oh, they're gonna be saved." <laughs> <laughs> and then on the other side of town, Violet and uh, Landon are just have kissing in the dark surrounded by people yeah yeah they're like oh sounds like a good time to make out i thought it was interesting how many times they were like being like super affectionate and then like some officer would just walk up and like not notice 
Yeah, because oh, yeah. it wasn't allowed. Right. Like, they would just, she'd be dropping him off somewhere, and they'd just be, like, on the curb, like, saying some romantic goodbye, and then some other officer pulls up, and it's just like, Landon, are you coming <laughs> into the meeting? And Landon's like, yep, I'll be right there. Or <laughs> there was one time um, they were sitting in the car, and he sits in the front with her, which isn't normal. Normally, he would sit in the back, and then his boss rolls up and doesn't question why he's sitting in the front of the car with her. Yeah, because that's she's supposed to be a chauffeur. Yeah, yeah. But uh, maybe because where it's his boss, American, maybe it wasn't as big a deal with the American officers as it was with the British officers. Maybe behind doors, his boss was like, "Hey." Yeah, his boss was dating his secretary. <laughs> I don't know. I know sometimes it was like British officers who would like walk up on them, or like how he was supposed to go to that meeting, like the night that he proposed to her. Yeah. And he was supposed to be in a meeting and then he runs across town to like surprise her and then they just go out to a restaurant. I'm like yeah. where other offices are at. And well, right. like, at that point they're secret. gonna get married. So I guess so. Like you can't really keep your marriage a secret. I don't know. I feel like in the military, like if you're doing something like that, it's it's like a, oh hey, we're in a relationship and they're like, Well, you're not supposed to there and then you say, Well, too late, we already got married. So now it's okay. <laughs> That's how it usually goes in the military. <laughs> Oops, I didn't know. Yeah, like, well, because it's like you're not allowed to be, I mean, nowadays, you're not allowed, like, the officer can't date in the listed, but, like, you could be married, I think. So it's like they, right? Like, know. an officer can be married to an enlisted, but they can't date in the listed. I think that today's military is probably a lot more lax than that. I'm not sure if there are rules. But, I know. Well, I don't know. I just know from Nate's Navy experience that you, they're not allowed to date. Or maybe like a direct reporting. Maybe if like you were that person's boss, like maybe a direct report wouldn't. That wouldn't be ideal. But no, it's just like I. If, I might be wrong to anybody listening for this, but I'm pretty sure any officer is not allowed to date an enlisted person. Because even, like, officer wives don't even want to associate with enlisted people's wives. Enlisted soldiers' they're wives. they're jerks. Because they're jerks. <laughs> I feel like if it's like if they find, like, you reveal that, oh, yeah, we have a romantic relationship and we're already married. So there's, like, nothing you can do about it versus, like, we are planning to get married. Yeah, I, don't I don't know. I think it's always revealed after you're married. I don't know. Google it. <laughs> It's the ask ask for forgiveness, not for permission. Yeah. <laughs> How would you Google something like that? I don't know if people can comment on podcasts, but maybe somebody can tell us. I mean, they can comment on our Facebook or Instagram. But... We have a Facebook? True. We do. Oh, yeah, I yeah. I'm pretty sure I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I also have a TikTok that I've never posted anything oh, yeah. to. How are we going to TikTok a book club? Like we this? just take little clips from this. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly rubbing her eye. <laughs> yeah. Remember that was going to be our TikTok. <laughs> I meant to do a, like, a little voiceover for the, over the book. I had that cute little image and stuff that I was going to post. And then I got sick and almost died. But I, I really, I made dad, so dad took us to the ER to get fluids and he was like, I'm just going to sit out in the waiting room and you two can go in. And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> I 
like, can you come back with us? And he was like, okay. And I like was just laying on the couch on the bed, like the patient bed, like sleeping. And then dad's in the corner, like cuddling my child, <laughs> trying to make her feel better. <laughs> I was like, no, I really like dying right now. That's why I'm here for fluids. <laughs> you're like, I needed you here. So you're going to be here. <laughs> yeah. Right here. Oh, so overall, do you guys think that you liked the book? Yes. I like it. It reminds me of like there. I felt like for a while there was that genre of movies like Valentine's Day or like he's just not that into you. You you like start watching it and you have like all these, you're just like thrown characters and you're like, how do these people relate to each other? And then like halfway through the story start like intertwining. (laughs) They're all related. But there was like, like, um, what else? What was the other one that was like that? There's been a couple of them. Uh, and like Crazy Stupid Love. That's the one I was thinking with Steve Carell. And so I would say if you enjoy those kind of movies, you'd probably like the book. If you really don't like that kind of a movie, I would not read the book. Yeah, because it's a little bit um, confusing at the beginning when you don't really know how these people yeah, are related. You're like, wow, yeah, this Violet person's a real piece of work. And like when you're reading one chapter about one person and then all of a sudden it's like, well, that was cool. Let me tell you about this person. (laughs) Especially before they had met and you're like jumping from London to Aldhurst to the mansion. And yeah, I will say that this is normally when I read books, um, I choose them because I want to read them. But normally when I read books, I feel a little bit more immersed in a story um where I'm craving the book you know what I mean like I want to get back to the story in my head and I can't say that I felt that way with this book um it was a good book it wasn't I didn't like once I was listening to it and I could um I could move about my life and still be listening to the book I felt like I got through it and it was a good book and I enjoyed it but I won't say that I felt um, particularly like immersed in the story. Do you think it's a book that if we didn't do it for the book club that you would have read on your own? No, probably not. Yeah, I was surprised that I liked it. Yeah, well, because I was telling Miranda before that like my normal, my normal go-to reads are like historical, which is this, but usually it's historical fiction and usually has some tie-in with some sort of magic or like something fantasy because my real life is something I want to get away from sometimes and so um I'm not usually like oh let's read a fiction about world war ii (laughs) (laughs) sort of thing I'd like to hear about people being bombed that sounds exciting (laughs) so it wasn't my normal read no normally I mean like I like outlander and which is traumatic to say the least, but it's also historical fantasy fiction situation. Um, or like there's an author that I like, her name's Karen, uh, Karen Marie Monning, and now I'm having a really hard time talking and using words. Um, but she has this whole world that she's created with like Highlanders and present day people and immortality and time travel and it's just like a whole mess of stuff um but those are the kind of books that i will 
read and then I'm like, oh, I want to know what happens next. But it was a good book. This book was a good book. It just was not my normal book. I liked it. I picked it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, in next month's book, I probably would have never wrote, uh, read that book either. That book's been out for a while, though. We're doing, what are we doing? Where the Crawdads Sing? Mm-hmm. That book, that's an older book. By, what's her name? What's, what's the author's name? Dahlia Owens, I think. Dahlia? Uh, is there any more you want to say about this book? I think that's all I have to say about the book. I think so. I definitely think that I learned some things about what it was like or for a select group of people to live inside of um, like wartime Britain in World War II. So yeah. there was definitely things I didn't know, like the like the rationing for clothes and probably mostly that. I knew there was like air raid things. I didn't realize though that they bombed the countryside because like <laughs> so, like in well, Narnia. I don't think they were they were like just bombing it. They were like getting rid of excess stuff. And if there happened to be a town. I think they were bombing like significant um buildings. Yeah, because yeah. when they when they like, bombed that uh party, they were like trying to protect the church. Mm-hmm. Like the like the Nazis were specifically trying to set fire to the church. And so they were trying to protect the history of the that. But that seems, uh, now that I'm thinking of it, pretty on point for ty- tyrants like Hitler or um, what's going on with the Ukraine. Like, it seems like these people want to erase any and all history of these countries that they're trying to overthrow Mm-hmm. So that's kind of interesting to cross over there where they're basically trying to erase. They they want them to conform. But really, America did that too, let's be honest. <laughs> America has done that to all and like the, the um all of the immigrants that came over. That's why there was that whole like melting pot thing, like where everybody jumps into the melting pot. There's like a political cartoon where there's like this person jumping into a melting pot and coming out with like a top hat and like a three-piece suit on. So they like jump in and then they hop out and they're conformed. Instead of bringing their culture and making it like a mosaic, it's like this like soup. So, I mean, we're not exempt from those sorts of practices, but I thought that that was interesting. That's probably my last interesting note that I can think of. Okay, so on this paper that um, Miranda sent, it says, uh, rate it on a scale of one to five. How exciting do you think this book was? Uh, for me, it's like a three or a four. I th- it took me a while to get into the book. I think it took me until a little before halfway before I was like, oh, what's happening? I care about these characters. <laughs> so Yeah, I think I would agree with that. I think that if we split the book into sections, my rating would be different um, based on what section we were in. So. I actually thought the book was over when Grace broke up with Lawrence. Like I thought, I felt like there was a wrapping up of things, and then I Nothing looked. Nothing was and I'm resolved. Like, <laughs> I know, but I I felt like Hugh would show up and Grace would be with Hugh, and they would all just like be happy. You know, Violet would be happy doing her war work, and Grace would be happy because Hugh came back. And I felt like there was a wrapping up of things, and then 
I looked at the book and it's like page 226 of 418 and I was like what so I would say it was maybe not as exciting before that point and then after that point it maybe it got a little bit more exciting with all of the um action (laughs) with all the action happening yeah Uh, what was the ease of the you didn't rate the book five I I agree with guys I think it was like a three like I would give it a four I mean I enjoyed it I think it was a slow start like jumping I any book is slow at the beginning Mm -hmm. and when you're like restarting the book three times because like each character has to be like reintroduced yeah um or like not reintroduced but like it's a new story starting every time I think that's when it was so I think it was right I think it's definitely a start but once their stories really blend together yeah and it it continued like even though you focus on a different person like the story was still continuing yeah instead of like jumping back into like the beginning of somebody's story so I would I mean I definitely would give it like a four I think I gave the book a four too because I like I didn't hate it (laughs) I would say four is fair I would say four is fair maybe like the first half of the book was like a three and maybe the second half was like a four Mm-hmm. but Violet was irri- not Violet oh my gosh Violet was my favorite Grace was irritating and then Cressida at the very end where she like rejects Ben that was irritating I'm like you're literally yeah. okay so like the whole time she was telling Grace not to be this person she's like you have to live life you have to embrace new opportunities she's like helping her break out of her shell and helping her realize her true identity and then she can't, like she can't take her own advice and I guess that's true like for human beings in general but um it's a lot easier to give advice than to take it or to follow <laughs> your own advice. sometimes I, I think we don't see how our advice advice applies to yeah us yeah also but it's I was like so irritated I'm like you're literally doing exactly the opposite of what you have been telling Grace to do this whole time I was irritated <laughs> That's my this thing actually as I'm reading it, it says, um Oh yeah, that was my when Cressida rejects Ben, do you think she's doing the same thing that she's upset at Hugh for? So it's funny that you're like, You're mad at Grace for this thing, but then like the notes about the book is like she should be mad like she's mad at Hugh for doing the same thing and I don't think that Cressida was acting like Hugh. I don't think that she was um rejecting Ben because of his station. I think that she was reject. She thought that she, if she were to accept him, that she would have to give up a part of herself. I don't think Hugh was rejecting Grace because of her station. I think Hugh had been drilled so, like, it had been drilled into him that he had a duty to the family, yeah. even though he hated his father. I think Hugh and Cressida both rejected people because of the life they thought they were supposed to be living. I guess that's true. Yeah. Because Hugh, like, the whole premise of Hugh and Grace's relationship is that they were in love as kids. Yeah. And her, his dad told him that basically he couldn't well, he be with him her. Away. He, he removed him from her. From the situation. And 
So I don't think he rejected her simply because, like, oh, she wasn't good enough. I think he was still trying to live up to the expectations that his father had for him and, like, the duty that had been drilled into him of you have to be the lord of this manor. So, and I mean, just as much as Violet was trained not to marry for love, like, Hugh was trained that way, too. Yeah, to, like, uphold the family name, which is interesting to me because they are not actually even titled people. They're just rich, right? Like, they weren't... And he had some sort of political office because... Yeah, he worked in the war office. Beyonce's father threatens that, like, you're never going to be in this office again. Like, Oh, oh yeah. His fiancé's family, I think, is titled. But the Westcott family is not titled. But he does have, like, a political position. But that's because he chose Maybe not, it. like, a royal Like, one. it's because he chose it. I don't think that that's something that was bequeathed to him from his father. I think he wanted... Yeah. That was his, like, way of the war like helping with the war i don't know i stand by what i said and i feel like grace should not have ended with hugh i feel like she should have found somebody who or or even just Just found found herself i don't know and was just content with her life and not necessarily running back to hugh every single time that he was like because because in her narration like in the narration, she was like, he let her down again, again and again, he let her down. But she gives him the opportunity again and again to let her down. Like she keeps putting herself in this situation. So I feel like that should have gone a different way. (laughs) I feel strongly about this. Maybe, maybe the book is like a four and a half. Just because of the, the emotions it has incited in me, like ignited. I don't know what the word is, but maybe, maybe it's like a four and a half. <laughs> so next month we're reading Where the Crawdad, Crawdad Sing. Mm-hmm. Yes, Miranda's picking this book. So why do we want to read this book? Yes, I, I picked this book because I was actually recommended it a long time ago. Um, I used to work in a hotel, I was concierge, this lady came up to me, she was like, I bought this book randomly, and it actually turned out to be really good. And so I had the book, but then one of the bellmen made fun of me. He was like, that looks like a cheesy book. So I didn't read it. Um, But now... (laughs) Now you have to go out and pay for this book. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now it's being made into a movie, and Taylor Swift read it, and it inspired her to write this whole song for it. And so I was like, Okay, maybe it's a good book. Let's try to read this. Really, that's why we're reading it, because Taylor Swift uh, wrote a song. That is why we're reading it, yes. Should I read the synopsis? I mean, it's short. I don't know what it's It's about. It's short. Okay, so the synopsis of the book is, For years, rumors of the Marsh Girl haunted Barkley Cove, a quiet fishing village. Kaya Clark is barefoot and wild, unfit for polite society. So in late 1969, when the popular Chase Andrews is found dead, locals immediately suspect her. But Kaya is not what they say. A born naturalist with just one day of school, she takes life's lessons from the land, learning the real ways of the world from the dishonest signals of fireflies. But while she has the skills to live in solitude forever, the the time comes when she yearns to be touched and loved. Drawn to two young men from town who are each intrigued by her wild beauty, Kaya opens herself to a new and startling world until the unthinkable happens. Dun, dun, so dun. it's like a murder mystery book. 
is the unthinkable. Now we must. Yeah, find now out. you have to read the book. <laughs> so it's where the crawdads sing by Delia Owens. Dahlia. D e d e l i a. Sure. Dahlia. 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 There it is. D h l i a. So that's Dahlia. But it might be like when it, it might be when you spell um, Jill J y l. It might be like that. <laughs> it might be like uh, Leary or yeah, Lago hair. Lago hair. Her name is actually Sarah, but <laughs> <laughs> there are so many Irish names that are like that. Where you're like, oh, so like uh, there's Anya, but it's spelled A I N E. We'll link that um, book in our on our website, and you can get a link to our website from our Instagram, which is at Bound Sisters. Yep, or on Facebook, also at Bound Sisters. I don't do the Facebook, so. Well, some people do, <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> so, until next time, bye. 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 <laughs>